You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. He was talking to them about John the Baptist. Now here's the mystery. According to what Jesus said, if Israel had responded correctly as a nation to Elijah the prophet's ministry through John the Baptist, because he came in the power and the spirit of Elijah, then the end would have come. You say, wait a minute, what about the cross? Well, the cross would somehow have happened. I can't answer that question, but somehow the cross would have happened. But Jesus said, if they had recognized John the Baptist as the Elijah that was to come, restoration would happen. Through the scripture and the blessing of hindsight, we can witness the spiritual blindness of Israel through numerous instances in their history, including the one that we're living in. As Pastor Danny begins our exploration of Mark's gospel in today's message, he'll draw our attention to John the Baptist. This unique man was described as the second coming of Elijah by Jesus. He was sent with a message of restoration. But just like so many of God's messengers before, Israel missed it and remained in their sin. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Mark chapter one, as he begins his message, The Blessings of Repentance. Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. The Gospel of Mark was penned by John Mark. John is his Jewish name. Mark, or more technically Marcus, is his Latin name. So, John Mark. He was a partner in uh, ministry with Paul and Barnabas. He went with them on their first missionary journey. But Acts 13 tells us that in Pamphylia, he deserted them and went back home to Mama. On the second missionary journey, Barnabas, who happened to be John Mark's cousin as well, wanted to take John Mark along. Paul didn't think it a good idea because he had deserted them in Pamphylia on the first journey. Paul and Barnabas have such a sharp debate that they no longer minister together. Barnabas chooses John Mark, takes off. The Holy Spirit doesn't record their future travels. Paul chooses Silas and goes on in his ministry. But Paul and John Mark were reunited in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul, as an aged saint, writes in the closing chapter of that letter for them to send John Mark to him because he's helpful in ministry. So they were reunited, and he not only uh, was able to do ministry again with the Apostle Paul, but ultimately he had the awesome privilege of pinning the fourth of the four Gospels, the Gospel according to Mark. And right away, it should encourage us us, uh, because even if we fail, uh, it's not over. God will not only forgive us, but he will use us in ways that we could never imagine. And that's what he did with John Mark. Verse 1, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, 
I'll send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert or in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John came. Not John Mark. John, we call him the Baptist. Not because of his denominational heritage. Baptists weren't started until the 1600s. This is well before that. But because when people came to him and responded correctly to his ministry, he baptized them. So we call him John the Baptist. So John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Then one more verse for this morning, verse 6. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. That's a unique diet, pretty unique clothing. I always uh, picture John the Baptist, if he came in our culture, the American culture, riding a big Harley, all leather on him, big leather belt, wallet with a chain on it. Why camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist? Why locusts and wild honey? Well, locusts and wild honey, that's easy. Luke chapter 1 and verse 80 tells us simply this about John the Baptist. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert, the wilderness, until he appeared publicly to Israel. The desert, the wilderness, that was where God prepared him for his ministry. That shouldn't surprise us. He has a unique call, special calling. Luke chapter 1 tells us he was filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. That's a uniqueness. He's not the only one prepared for ministry in the desert. Moses spent 40 years in the desert being prepared. Saul of Tarsus went into Arabia, desert place. God prepared him there for his ministry. Jesus himself spent 40 days in the wilderness before launching his public ministry. So it's not a surprise. John was prepared in the desert, in the wilderness. His diet, his diet is of one who lives in the middle of nowhere. He ate locusts and wild honey. But his clothing, camel's hair, leather belt, who else had clothing like that in the Bible? 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8, Elijah, Old Testament prophet, had a clothing line like John the Baptist, and he wore a leather belt. Luke 1 tells us that John the Baptist came in the power and in the spirit of Elijah. Many believe John the Baptist was a part of a group called the Essenes. I'm not one of them. I don't believe he was part of the Essenes because the Essenes lived in the desert, used Isaiah 40, verse 3, which is also a scripture, a scripture used here in Mark chapter 1 of John the Baptist. They said, we live in the desert because we're a voice of people calling in the wilderness, uh, make straight the way for the Lord. And they believed theirs was the way to follow the Lord. They lived in the wilderness. You needed to live in the wilderness. You needed to eat like they did, you know, have the lifestyle they did. They were similar to the Pharisees, but unique to the Pharisees. And the reason I believe that John the Baptist was not an Essene is because the Essenes did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. That's a pretty significant difference. Since John the Baptist came with the sole purpose of introducing Jesus as the Messiah to the world. He came in the power and the spirit of Elijah. Now, just a little fascinating note there. 
Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5, Behold, the Lord says, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So Elijah the prophet is going to come before the end. What's fascinating and mysterious about that is Matthew 17. Matthew chapter 17 records in the first part of it what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John go up on a mountain with Jesus. Jesus is transfigured before them. They see him in all of his glory. But Jesus is not alone. He's alone in in being transfigured before them, but two other people are there with him. And they're having a conversation with Jesus. You know who it was? Moses and Elijah. When they come back down from the mountain, Matthew 17, verse 10, the disciples ask him, why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? They're referring to Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. And Jesus replied, listen to his answer, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. See, the prophecy is before the very end, before Jesus comes back in his second coming, there's going to be an end times revival through a ministry of Elijah the prophet. Now, I don't know if it's really Elijah the prophet, could be, because he didn't die. Remember, he was uh, caught up back up into heaven with chariots of fire and uh, horses of fire. You know, he didn't die. So many believe he's actually coming back, literally. That could be. But what's fascinating here, Jesus says to the disciples in response to their question, Elijah comes and will restore all things. In other words, the restoration is going to happen after Elijah the prophet and his ministry in the end of the age. But verse 12, this is what's fascinating and mysterious. But I tell you, Jesus says, Elijah has already come. What? Did we miss it? And they did not recognize him. But have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. Now here's the mystery. According to what Jesus said, If Israel had responded correctly as a nation to Elijah the prophet's ministry through John the Baptist, because he came in the power and the spirit of Elijah, then the end would have come. You say, wait a minute, what about the cross? Well, the cross would somehow have happened. I can't answer that question, but somehow the cross would have happened. But Jesus said, if they had recognized John the Baptist as the Elijah that was to come, restoration would happen. Romans chapter 11 talks about Israel's blindness spiritually in regard to Jesus as the Messiah because of their rejection of him as a nation in his first coming. But then it says in verse 15, if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, because now the gospel has gone out to the Gentile world, I'm very happy about that. If their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If you study Zechariah chapter 12 and 13, Zechariah 12 and 13 refer to the time of this great tribulation, which I believe is soon coming upon the world. This seven-year period known as the great tribulation. And during that time, Zechariah 12 and 13, one of the things that God does during that time is purge the nation of Israel. Some will perish, many will perish. I hate to say that, but much of the world will perish in the great tribulation. God says through that tribulation, he will refine his people Israel and the remnant that is left will mourn and they will see the one they have pierced, Jesus, and they will realize he really is the Messiah and all Israel in one day will be saved. 
And then the end comes very quickly and we move into the restoration of all things through the ministry of Elijah the prophet. Fascinating stuff. What did our text say? The beginning of the gospel, the good news. What's the good news? Your sins can be forgiven. You can be saved. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, it is written, I'll send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. He's a lone voice, but not the only voice, not a unique voice. He's a unique man, dressed different than us, diet different than us, but his message, no, 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 that's not unique. What's his message? Repent. After John completes his ministry, Verses like Matthew chapter 4, verse 17 tells us that after John completed his ministry, then Jesus begins his ministry. John says, I must decrease, he must increase. And what does it say, Matthew 4, 17? And so Jesus then from that time on began to go out and proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus completed his earthly ministry, passed it on to the apostles, what did he tell them to go out and preach? And what did they go out and preach? What did Peter preach on the day of Pentecost? Repent. That's the message. It's the one string on John the Baptist, Elijah's prophetic guitar. It's the one message that we're called to preach to the world. Repent. And you can't be saved unless you repent. Everybody needs to repent. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God wants all people to repent. Ezekiel 18.32, I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. I went online and I got a lot of information that I chose not to share with you. I don't even have it in my notes. But it was interesting stuff. And it was detailed information of what we do as a nation, as a government, when our president leaves Washington and travels to another place. Every time President Barack Obama leaves Washington and goes somewhere else, it costs taxpayers millions of dollars. I'm not complaining about that. I'm just stating a fact. I don't know if you're for it or against it. It doesn't matter who the president is. We do it for every president. Why? Because we're preparing the way that he goes from point A to point B and point C. And wherever he's going, he goes from here to here and he goes unhindered. And let me tell you, if he comes to your town, Whatever path they've laid out for him to go, he gets off of Air Force One. He gets in the limo, and you better know there are no other cars except his and his entourage on the road. And he goes unhindered, and the way is paved. That's the idea here. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. That's not the whole text of Isaiah 40. For the rest of the text, let me go to Luke's account because he gives us more of what Isaiah chapter 40 says. Luke's gospel, chapter 3 and verse 5. Here's what it says. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways made smooth. I don't know if you ever thought about that as deeply as I have. But in thinking about it deeply, valleys filled in. Valleys filled in. You're a low life. 
You said, you just call me a low life? No, I just used the term, and if it fits, you got to wear it. <laughs> you know what a low life is? Let me give you the definition of a low life. This is the definition of it. It's not my definition. It's the definition. A person considered morally unacceptable by their community. That's a low life. You're morally unacceptable to your community. Well, your lifestyle and the way you're living. Don't hang out with them, kids. Mountains and hills made low. God says to people like Esau in the Bible, you made your home up in the mountains, up in the high area. And you say, basically, none will topple me. That's pride. That's arrogance. The valleys filled in. Mountains and hills made low. We have a phrase for those high life people. Where I come from. You know what it is? They're too big for their britches. You know who coined that phrase? Anybody know who coined that phrase? Nobody? You'd be glad you came to church today. You know who coined that phrase? Good southern boy named Davy Crockett. Now you'd be more proud you're from the south. You're too big for your britches, boy. The crooked roads made straight. You're crooked. You know you're crooked. And the rough ways made smooth. You're tough. You're rough. And you're proud of it. But if you want to make a straight path for the Lord to come into your life and save you and change your life and continue to change your life, repent. Drugs for years stood in between me and God. I knew I needed to be saved. But you see, I love drugs more than I love God. You know, there was a period in my life, I've told you this before, I'm going to tell you again. There was a period in my life I loved marijuana more than I loved girls. If you're in that situation in life, let me tell you, you got a problem. You got a problem. I had a more romantic uh, time rolling the joints for the next morning. I'd sit there and, and, and take the bag of pot and I would just play with it, you know, caress it. That was my love. I'm not being dramatic. I'm telling you the truth. Oh, I love girls. But in the time you didn't have a girl, at least I had the pot. At least I could get high and dream about the girl. You know, put on the music and smoke the joints and get high and think, I don't have a girl, but man, it's sure great to be alive. Back in the day, that's what my kids say. I don't really like it when they say that, but I don't, I don't say anything to them. Because what they mean when they say, was that back in the day, Dad? What they mean is back in the day, years ago when I was young. That was back in the day, Dad. Back in the day, I remember one particular girlfriend. She was the one that I, I was head over heels in love with. And my relationship with her was not God-honoring. But I didn't care. Because I loved her. And she loved me. She loved me so much, one birthday she gave me a whole carton of Winston cigarettes. That is true love, buddy. That's when I knew she really loved me. Whole carton. That was my favorite cigarette. She broke up with me and my world was devastated. I am not being, I'm not being dramatic. I'm telling you the truth. For two weeks, I could not eat food without purging. 
I was devastated. I thought my life had ended. But now I look back and I think it's one of the best things that ever happened to me. I'm not saying I would not have gotten saved had I remained in relationship with her. But while I was in relationship with her, even during a period of time where I was convicted by the Holy Spirit, because for much of our relationship, I wasn't convicted. I was enjoying it. But near the end of our relationship, I was being convicted by the Holy Spirit. I knew I needed to get right with God. I needed to be saved. I'd get moody. And she'd wonder what's wrong with me. She'd say, Danny, what's wrong? And I wouldn't tell her. And then you kick back a few more beers. And you know, when you're in that kind of situ- moody situation, it doesn't help you. Initially, it helps you get, you get a little more, you know, you know, life of the party kind of thing. And then the night goes on, and then you're just with her at the end of the night, and the conviction came back. And it didn't matter how much beer I'd had. And one night, I finally told her, she said, Danny, what is wrong with you? And I said, I'm not right with God. That's what I said. Boy, was she surprised. I mean, that's the last thing in the world she'd have come up with. You're not right with God. What, you know, what are you talking about? And after that's when she broke up with me. And I look back now and I'm so thankful. Because I don't know. I, if I had gotten saved, it would have been much more difficult because I loved her more than I loved God. <laughs> it's the only humorous part of this uh, message. It was a painter. They called him Jock. Jock was really into making money. He found a way to make more money in his painting business, but it was dishonest. You see, what Jock would do is thin the paint to make it go further, but in painting, with that paint, it didn't last nearly as long because the quality was inferior. And Jock got away with this for a while, and then one day, he got a bid for a restoration project on a big church building. So dollar signs began dancing in his head, and he set out erecting the trestles, setting up everything, buying the paint, and then, of course, with nobody looking, thinning the paint. That was his practice before he did the job. One day he was on the scaffolding, this church, painting away, when suddenly there was a horrendously loud clap of thunder. It was so loud, it, it, it knocked Jock off the scaffolding. Luckily, he wasn't high enough to be hurt. Seriously, he landed right on the church lawn. Rain begins to pour from the sky like a river, washing the paint away all over the building. Jock was obviously no saint, but he was no fool. He knew this was God's way of warning him that he needed to change his ways. So he got down on his knees right there and began to cry out, Oh God, forgive me! What should I do? And a loud, thunderous voice answered, Repaint, repaint, and thin no more. It's the only humorous part of the message. If you didn't laugh, part of the message is don't resist the Holy Spirit. And you're resisting the Holy Spirit by saying, I'm not going to laugh at a joke like that. What is repentance? The real technical definition of the Greek term to repent is a change of mind and a change of purpose. Years ago, God gave me this thought in relation to that definition. It's a change of mind that leads to a change in action. You see, it's more than an emotional experience. It's more than a psychological thing. It's more than uh, tears. Hebrews chapter 12, referring to Esau, says Esau, though he sought the blessing of God with tears, with tears, he could bring about no change of mind. That's interesting, isn't it? You can cry, you can be emotional, and yet not repent. 
Thanks for joining Pastor Danny today as he walks us through the book of Mark. This New Testament gospel book conveys a fast-paced progression of events that occurred during Jesus' ministry. It's almost as if the writer intended to communicate that Jesus was continually forward-thinking toward the cross and his mission and purpose here on earth. In Mark 10.45, it says, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. This is the ultimate summary of the book of Mark. Jesus came humbly as a servant to reach the lost. Are you feeling lost today? Or have you been found and are following Jesus fully now? No matter what your answer is, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is info at ccfstpete.church. Let us know how you heard about the living word and how we can be praying for you. That address again is info at ccfstpete.church. If you're in the St. Petersburg area, come join us and hear from Pastor Danny at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We're holding services each Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. You'll find all the information you need on our website, ccfstpete.church. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope that you'll join us again for our next edition, right here on The Living Word.